0: Turning in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. We'll turn to Luke 12. In order to give honor to the holy God who has given us this, his holy and infallible word, we'll stand as we read Luke chapter 12. We'll be reading verses 8 through 12. This is God's holy and infallible word. Verse 8. And I say to you, Everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess him also before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Let's pray together. Thank you for this, your word. Help us, we pray, to receive and believe and that by your word that you would give us eternal hope and eternal life, which can only be acquired through Jesus Christ our Lord. Work mightily in us, and we pray that you would help us, each of us, to confess your beloved Son and you, O Father, before men. But we ask these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. What happens when you're given an opportunity to confess your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? I remember when I was a new Christian, I I was a reformed Presbyterian Christian and I was working a job and we had a client that asked me a very interesting deep question. He said, do you believe in eternal hellfire? That was a strange, bold question. But you know, I didn't take advantage of saying, well, well, we're doing therapy and there's a bunch of, I guess I was, well, I hate to say it, I probably was afraid. As a new Christian, I was probably afraid of giving an answer. But what I probably really should have said was that, well, you know, we're at work right now. Here's my phone number. I want to get together with you after therapy. And we can talk, I would love to talk with you. And, you know, I wish I would have been able to do that in a better fashion. We often fail at this privilege in giving a calling, or a conf- uh, giving a, in this calling that we have to give a profession of faith in Jesus. But, even when we fail, and we ask forgiveness, God does forgive us and help us. As we look at today's text, we'll see that it is our calling as Christians to give a confession before men. Now before we look at today's text, the beginning of uh, chapter 12, uh, verse 8 and following, um, we want to notice that Jesus is preaching not just to a few people here, he's preaching to a tremendous crowd. Look at verse 1, it says, after so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were stepping on one another, and then he began saying to his disciples, and from here we have a, a rather extensive sermon you could say that keeps going on uh, a little bit of interaction there but it keeps going on all the way to the beginning of chapter 13 verse 9. He continually teaches and preaches in that uh, time. Now today's text is only a small portion of what Jesus was giving in, the, in this really long message but what we want to do is we want to look at, we want to analyze, we want to receive As much meat as we can from God's Holy Word to see how these verses from 8 to 12 relate to other passages of Scripture and what God calls you to do and how you are to give a confession of faith before men. As we um, look at today's text, you are to endeavor to confess Christ before men. We'll see this in three main points there. Confess Christ so he confesses you, the sin God will not forgive, and the Holy Spirit's help in the hour of need. So let's look at this first main point. Confess Christ so he confesses you. Verses 8 and 9. I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess him also, before the angels of God, but he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Now the Greek word used here for confess in verse 8 means to admit, to profess, or to acknowledge something as factual or true. So when you're making a confession, you're acknowledging, you're professing, you're telling others, you're stating what you believe concerning Holy Scripture, and salvation in Jesus Christ. Now, some of us are rather private, and we might give an individual, personal acknowledgement of our faith just between us and, and, and God, maybe, or maybe some intimate other folks. But what this text in context is telling us is that we are called to give a public profession when someone comes to us. Peter says it this way when someone asks for the reason, the, the hope that you have within you, uh, be, a, be ready to give a defense, a reason for your hope. Um, the book of church order, when we have a baptism or we have people uh, that are received into membership into the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, it says that when someone comes before the church and takes the membership vows and, and, and gives the uh, the assent to the truths of Holy Scripture concerning what the Bible teaches and what Jesus has done, that Jesus is the only way of their salvation, it says that this is a, one way that this particular verse is fulfilled. It, it cites this particular passage saying that this is in keeping with verse 8 of confessing Christ before men. That's true. It is absolutely true that when a new member comes into the church, they're confessing Christ before men, before all of you. But that's not all that's involved. It's always the Christians calling to profess Christ in everything that they do, in their schooling, in their work, in their leisure, in their social life, in their family life. It's not just on the Lord's Day, and it's not just in the morning of the Lord's Day that we confess Christ before men. And that's what Paul taught in Colossians 3.17. It's there in your outline. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So in other words, giving thanks is not, again, just for Sunday. And it's not giving God praise and worship is not just on Sunday, but it's in all things that you are to do. I, I once met a man who studied the Puritans a lot. I guess you would say he maybe he... He, he, stro- he was striving to be a modern-day Puritan. And if you, if you recall, back in the Middle Ages, the, the holy callings were those of the clergy, being a monk, a nun, a priest, or something of that, of that sake. Was, that's what it meant to be a holy person. But in the Reformation, they taught that all work done to God's honor and glory can be done in a way to give Him the praise and adoration. So this, this engineer uh, who felt that, who, who strove to be a modern day Puritan, he was doing some work at his office and then he, he was under the table cleaning under the table because there was some filth under there so he's cleaning it. And somebody asked him, said, well, what are you doing? Why are you under the table, wiping the table, cleaning under the table? That's not the job for an engineer. You're the engineer. He said... I'm seeking to worship my Lord. And I, I believe that's, that was a sincere type of devotion in his labor that was in keeping with things like uh, passages such as Ecclesiastes 9.10. Whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. And 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You are to confess or you are to profess the name of Jesus even before those who frown at your faith. And we've had to do that recently because we've had some unbelieving family. If you say that Jesus is your Lord and Savior and you profess before even those who oppose, you profess that you love him, that you worship him, and that he has saved you, On that great day of judgment, he will confess you before his Father. He will be your advocate on that great day of judgment. But be warned, if you are ashamed of Jesus, he will be ashamed of you. Keep your place in Luke, but turn to Mark chapter 8, Mark 8. In Mark 8, starting in verse 34, says, He summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Stern warning, isn't it? It leads then to maybe question, well, what if you or I have ever been ashamed of Jesus? Can we be forgiven that sin? Absolutely. But then he goes on to talk about a sin that cannot be forgiven. Look at that sin which cannot be forgiven, verse 10. And everyone... Who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. Okay, so think about it. What, what's a case when individuals were speaking against the Son of Man? Remember the two robbers, on, one on the right and one on the left, with Jesus in the center when he's being crucified? they were following along with saying the exact same things that the the scribes, the chief priests, and the elders were all saying when they were mocking Jesus. Those two guys joined in. Sometimes mocking people can be contagious. So they were were saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross. If he comes down from the cross, we'll believe in Jesus. So they began mocking him, speaking against the Son of Man. But as one of the men came closer to his death, he started fearing what's going to happen, I'm sure, as he was perishing. And according to Luke uh, 23, he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He began pleading with Jesus rather than mocking him, speaking against him. And Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, you shall be with me in paradise. He was forgiven speaking against the Son of Man. There is hope even for those who deny, who have been ashamed of Jesus in the past, who even mock Jesus. There is hope for even those who persecute the church, who even condone the stoning of the saints for the sake of some false religion, like the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul spoke against Jesus. The Apostle Paul put people in prison. The Apostle Paul stood by condoning the martyrdom and the stoning to death of Stephen. Yet God forgave him because he turned and repented. He was given new life. He turned and repented of his sin, and he embraced Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So if you can be forgiven all of those things, what is the sin that you cannot be forgiven of that's mentioned as blaspheming the Holy Spirit, according to verse 10. Now, in order to tell that, we must go again to uh, Mark's gospel. Look at Mark chapter 3, starting at verse 22. Mark three twenty-two. 22. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub, and he casts out the demons by the ruler of the demons. And he called them to himself and began speaking to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is finished. But no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house. Truly, I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven, the sons of men and whatever blasphemies they utter But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. And here's the explanation. Because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. That is the sin of blaspheming against the Holy Spirit to call the work of Christ, wrought through the Holy Spirit, the work of the devil. That is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Um, Gee, um, it's actually William Hendrickson wrote this. The bitter opponents of Jesus have been ascribing to Satan what the Holy Spirit through Christ was achieving. Moreover, they were doing this willfully, and deliberately in spite of all the evidence to the contrary. They knew better. They knew that Jesus wasn't doing the work of the devil, but they didn't want to lose their place, so they they made whatever accusations they could so that they could keep their place and not be removed from it. But this sin is so vile that one committing this sin shall not be forgiven it. But the same Holy Spirit that enables you to believe and rest upon Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the same Holy Spirit can keep you from committing this unforgivable, heinous sin. Thirdly, let's look at the Holy Spirit's help in the hour of need. Look at verses 11 and 12. But when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Now, I believe this promise came true in the life of many in the New Testament era uh, even before, uh, even before the, the close of the canon of Scripture. And we'll look at a couple of examples. Remember Acts 7 Uh, Stephen gave a magnificent defense, a very long sermon, detailed history, but also he gave a magnificent defense before the council of the Sanhedrin. But he was then stoned to death after his defense. But it is one of the most beautiful sermons in all of the New Testament. Paul, guided by the Holy Spirit, also gave answers before synagogues and the rulers and authorities, according to Luke 12, 11. Remember, because of Paul's appeal, he was able to give a defense even before Caesar, his confession before Caesar. Uh, during his time in captivity, he witnessed to the entire Praetorian guard. He mentions that in Philippians 2, 13. Even the, the whole of the Praetorian guard hold, heard his witness of the gospel. Uh, Toward the end of Philippians chapter four, verse twenty-two, we find out that even some of Caesar's household are numbered among the saints who give greetings at the end of that of that epistle. Now, well, you might say, well, this uh, guidance of the Holy Spirit did it stop after the close of the canon? Did the Holy Spirit stop giving people words to say? Well. If you study uh, the martyrdom in books such as Fox's Book of Martyrs, you see that many godly men and women were able to give an amazing, magnificent profession of faith even when facing torture and death. They still did not deny the Lord Jesus. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. If you look at persecution.com, Uh, which is the website for uh, the Voice of the Martyrs, you find out many modern examples of Christians throughout the world, Africa, Asia, India, the Middle East, who give an amazing profession of faith when facing prison and even death, but they do not deny the Lord Jesus. That is only possible through the work of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, you are to confess Christ so he confesses you before the Father. You are to profess, to acknowledge his word is true that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and don't be ashamed of the gospel. If you have been ashamed in the past, repent and ask for God's grace to no longer be ashamed but to confess Christ before men the unforgivable sin is to call the work of Jesus the work of Satan. You will not be forgiven of that sin. And the Holy Spirit is promise, promised to give you help in your hour of need. It says not to worry about what to say. But as you study God's Word, He will bring to remembrance what His Word says. But He won't be able to bring to remembrance if you don't even have Uh, a a thorough study of His Word. Maybe consider writing out your testimony. By writing out your testimony, you're working through the things that you would say if someone asks you. Study your catechism and confession. There's beautiful, brief statements of witness that you can give from the shorter catechism. And brothers and sisters, I, I do ask for your prayer. Um, I ask that you pray to God that the Holy Spirit gives me the words to say both in my preparation and my delivery as I give a reason for my hope of the Holy Gospel as I have to preach my brother's funeral. But even in, in occasions like that, we need to pray for God's Holy Spirit. Pray for your pastor as he regularly works and prepares to preach in this church that the Holy Spirit would guide my preparation and my delivery. And I pray that God would guide you in what words that you to say you are to say when you give your confession of faith before a watching world. Let's pray together. We thank you, our Lord. We do pray that you would help us to remember this your holy word. Help us, we pray to Repent and to hate the sin of being ashamed of your gospel. Help us to have that Holy Spirit gift of boldness, to speak the word of truth, even when faced with frowns, with laughing, or even persecution of both body and of the, of the body. And Lord, we pray that you would help us, help us to be bold and giving a reason for the hope we have within us, to confess our blessed Lord Jesus so that he would confess us before you on that great day of judgment. Work in us, give us ears to hear and hearts to believe, for we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. For a hymn of dedication will turn to 195, Shine thou upon us, Lord. 195 will stand and sing.